It's nice that I didn't scare all of you away, the first part. All these words. So for this first part of the afternoon, I'd like to talk about loving-kindness meditation. Loving-kindness is a translation of the word metta in Pali, the language that the discourses are written in. Not everybody uses that word loving-kindness as a translation. Other translations are loving-friendliness, goodwill, benevolence, um, just kindness. But the um, idea about loving-kindness is that it has kind of like two aspects of it. So the loving part of the compound word is about the warm-heartedness, the kind of the the deep flow of appreciation or happiness or something towards an individual or yeah I'll say that and then kindness is the kind of the wish for their welfare you know or to contribute to their welfare somehow so loving kindness is this combination of um, wishing well for others because you have warm, caring experience. Something like that. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I have the experience, but I'm not exactly sure how to express it. But I'm sure all of you know what loving kindness is about. So unlike this idea that sometimes we have of this mysterious, greatly mysterious process of falling in love, and nobody really knows how that happens, I don't think, um, in contrast to that, the Buddhist teachings are that this sense of loving-kindness can be purposefully cultivated, can be, um, the conditions can be put into place in which it will arise more readily, and that it's uh, um, available for more types of people in more different, in increasingly different situations, and, and that it's a worthwhile thing to cultivate. And not only for others, but for ourselves too, right? Part of um, mindfulness practice is seeing things clearly, as I've said. But sometimes what we see clearly is uncomfortable. Or sometimes we see things about ourselves that isn't so flattering. Or maybe we see things about how the world is or how, you know, our life experiences that are not what we wish that they were. So loving-kindness and its different permutations, which I'll talk about, are um, loving-kindness is a way that we can kind of respond to these experiences that we have that are just a natural part of our life, right? It's um, being having uncomfortable experiences, feeling angry. These are just part of the human experience. And so cultivating loving kindness allows a more uh, allows our, that to be a response that's more readily available. I would also say that loving kindness is in the Buddhist teachings is what happens naturally when there's freedom in the heart, when there's an openness of the heart. Like it's as if it were there already. And then with mindfulness, we're able to kind of clear away, and with concentration, also clear away some of the things that are obstructing what's already there. 
So there's two things. One is to cultivate it, and one is to recognize that it's there, right? It's a natural capacity that we have, and that it's something um, that we don't just have to wait for it to arise by some mysterious process. So there are a few attitudes that may be confused as loving-kindness, and kind of in the Buddhist teachings talk about this, are things that are close to loving-kindness but aren't quite the same. In one is sensual or sexual desire for somebody, right? That's often tied up with love, but it's not the same thing. That feeling of... um, I'm using this with my hands, this kind of like grasping, leaning forward, feeling like, oh, I want this, right? That's not the same as love. But also a type of affection that's really tangled up with craving and a need for reciprocity, that's not exactly loving kindness either. It's like loving kindness mixed in with other things, with a desire for... Um, things to, I don't know, to stay with us, to um, comfort us, to, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think all of us in this room probably know what I'm talking about. So in the Buddhist teachings, it's not about, um, they're, not, they're not saying that affection isn't appropriate, and they're not saying that loving relationships between family members, between people is not appropriate. What they're saying is that the craving that goes with that, the sense that I can't live without this, or because you're in a relationship with me, you should behave in this way, or anything that's some constricting or tightening around it, is what the Buddhists would tell us to look out for. Loving kindness is something that's freely offered, boundless to everybody and anybody. That's something we work towards. I'm going to talk about that. And that without a need that there has to be some reciprocity, that others have to love us before we can love them. And it also um, values the, the openness that is possible when we are experiencing love. So it's not only cultivating so that love and loving kindness so that we can be in the world in a certain way but it also supports us into kind of relaxation there's a kind of freedom when you're just loving it's the kind of ease that is possible and that's really valued right in the Buddhist teachings when there's this ease and peace that's the route to kind of some greater ease and freedom So loving-kindness meditation involves the cultivation and strengthening of our wish, our intention for the well-being of ourselves and for others. That warm feeling of care, tenderness maybe. And so with um, mindfulness, I'm sorry, with metta meditation, loving-kindness meditation, what we're cultivating is that intention to have this uh, heartfelt wish for the love and kindness for others. Because it's not always possible to like, oh, I'm going to feel loving for this person at this moment, right? That's not always possible. The more we practice, the more that becomes available, 
And so, but what we're um, cultivating is the creating the conditions in which kind of loving kindness would be a response to what we meet in the world. And part of creating the conditions is we're watering, we're fueling our intentions for loving kindness and care in the world. And as I said, that can have a, like a softening effect on our lives, as well as you know, during meditation when we're formally doing that practice, with kind of love and tenderness and warmth. And I think that uh, my experience has been that um, with this kind of watering of the intentions that um, then love kind of like blossoms in ways that maybe are unexpected, that um, in the past, previously, maybe we wouldn't have a warm, tender feeling arise in a particular situation, but because we've been watering it in our meditation practice, it blossoms in lots of places that perhaps would have been unexpected before. So... Metta practice is done with um, classically or conventionally here in the West, traditionally, also probably in Asia. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't practiced there. But there's three elements that get um, combined or that we bring in mind. And first is we bring to mind... I'll start here. We'll bring to mind a image of a person to whom we would like to direct loving kindness. So for some people, this is easier than other people to visualize, to bring uh, something to mind, bring a person to mind. It can be the person as the last time you saw them. It can maybe be this person when they were a child. It can be maybe... Um, if you have a felt sense of the person rather than the image, it could be something like that. So one is bringing to mind, calling to mind, I'll use this word image. That may not work for everybody, but um, this word image. And the second is to bring together uh, your intention, this uh, warmth in the heart perhaps for their well-being this kind of, this loving, tender feeling. Bring that to arise, experience that. And then the third is we bring uh, phrases, particular words that we say that kind of help um, water these intentions. They help us keep our mind on on the practice that we're doing kind of like how with concentration practice we were always bringing our mind back to the breath as a way to kind of settle and get concentrated. And this way when we bring our mind back to the phrases can also be like a way in which we get settled and in which we get concentrated. But this time instead of rather um, having our mind settled on the breath, we're settling on a loving feeling, loving sensation, the experience of loving so that's kind of the, um, the traditional way is that we have these three elements. 
image of a person, an experience of, of, of what does it feel like to love, and three, these phrases. And this, um, what I'm just describing is kind of like a type of directed love. That is, we have an individual in our mind to whom we are directing our loving feeling, our intention towards. That's the most common way that it's taught here. But there's another way that I'd like to um, introduce and then we'll I'll combine them a little bit. The other way is to have um, undirected loving-kindness. So it's not directed towards an individual. It's just resting and cultivating that feeling of love, of tenderness, of care. Right? I think all of us have that experience or if you haven't I can um, there's like Buddhist scriptures that talk about this that which we pay attention to the most gets fueled and is you know is more predominant in our experience so just paying attention to this feeling of love can make it easier for love to arise and more likely that it will arise So the way that I would like for us to um, do this guided meditation on metta, and you'll see uh, how I'm going to combine these, is first is that we'll kind of cultivate just in our hearts this feeling of love. And I'll direct us as well how to do that. And then we will direct it towards what uh, this kind of word benefactor, a person whom it's easy to feel warm feelings towards. Somebody whom has benefited us, has supported us, has played a role in our lives that is, um, we have an uncomplicated relationship with. We may know them personally. We may not know them personally. In the, in, yeah, I'll say that. And we just, so it could be um, a religious figure. It could be a, your first grade English teacher. It could be somebody, you know, you don't have a complicated relationship. It's easy to feel love towards. Actually, let's take just uh, one minute here and bring that person to mind because that'll be a little bit easier if we, if we have that person in mind. So just think of somebody, and here's the good news. It doesn't have to be the perfect person. It doesn't have to be the right person. The intention here is just to bring, right now, is just to bring somebody to mind. And see if you can visualize him or her in your mind. Okay, so now we're going to do the um, formal meditation practice. Some of you are already in meditation posture. That's great. We'll just slip right in. So we'll take an alert, upright posture. And we'll start with a few slow, deep breaths just to relax and connect with the body. Just check in and see if there's a way that you can softly relax those areas that are tense. 
maybe see with your face. Maybe there could be a little bit of relaxation there. Or your jaw. Or your shoulders, maybe. Perhaps with the exhale, there can just be a little bit of letting go of what easily can be let go of. And check in with the belly. Is there some tension there that maybe can be softened? to bring to mind something that makes your heart go soft, that brings a really warm feeling into your heart. Maybe it's a picture of a puppy, a baby, a kitten. Something that you feel tenderness towards when you see. can just be a generic puppy or kitten or baby or or if that doesn't work maybe just a warmth feeling in your heart region a soft warm feeling and just notice how this warm feeling feels. Is it in the heart area? Maybe you feel it elsewhere. Is it warm? Maybe it's spacious. Each of us will have our own way. Just to rest in this feeling of tenderness, love. If it's helpful, you can place your awareness on the image of the puppy kitten, baby. Or you can place your awareness on the your heart if you feel a softening or warmth there. You can choose which one. Maybe move from one to the other as one gets stronger. It's very simple. We're just relaxing into this feeling of warmth and care.
you're having difficulty finding a, this tender feeling, that's okay. It's not always available all the time, right? Maybe you can reflect on your intention to have a warm feeling, to have care, to have love. And feel some happiness, some pleasure about your intention to feel warmth, love, care. Nothing really needs to happen. We're just kind of resting in that warm feeling. Now I invite you to bring to mind your benefactor. Visualize this person. While also keeping in touch with this warm feeling in the heart. is very simple. You can extend this warm feeling towards the benefactor, this person who has benefited us. And now I'm going to introduce the phrases. You can say these very quietly in your mind, repeating after me. Keep it in mind you're a benefactor, this warm feeling. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. We're going to repeat them. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease.
May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Keeping in mind the image of the benefactor, this warm feeling, or loving feeling, I should say, however it feels for you. And wishing these things for for the benefactor. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. a little bit of a silence now. You can repeat these on your own, at your own pace. Don't worry if you don't have the phrases completely memorized. It's more that feeling of wishing them well. And just see if you can find a comfortable rhythm of the phrases that helps maintain a steady continuity.
See if you can let go of any preoccupations or concerns and return to the phrases. This warm feeling and the image of the benefactor. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. And then to end this meditation, let's bring your awareness to your feet on the ground, your seat on the cushion or chair, kind of feeling grounded. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So metta meditation is about specifically cultivating a particular type of experience or our intention to have an experience. And we do that by um, recognizing the feeling that we have in our bodies associated with love, care, tenderness, as well as the phrases that we wish well-being for individuals in all kinds of um, different aspects of their lives, their physical health, their mental health, the quality of their life, and safety. And we have these expressions, may you be happy, not with the idea that we expect that some magic will necessarily happen and because we're wishing that their lives are going to be transformed, but more that it helps us to cultivate that feeling or that experience. And then with um, in the Buddhist teachings of um, loving kindness is that then, then we cultivate it to more and more individuals, more and more types of people, not only those for whom it's easy to feel love for, a benefactor, somebody who's loved us, but increasingly um, more and more people. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But before I go into that, does anybody have any questions so far about metta meditation or that guided meditation? And I'm wondering a little bit about the temperature in the room. For me, it feels a little bit warm. I know that the thermostat shuts off after four hours, so we probably turned it four hours ago. So I don't know if maybe we can turn it down a little bit. But does anybody have some comments about metta meditation?
Um, can you talk about the various kinds of meta- meditation? I know typically there's four kinds, but I've heard, uh, I know oftentimes there's a fifth one for forgiveness added in. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, kind of the Brahma Viharas, like metta, compassion, love, uh, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Yes, I'll talk about those in a minute. But just about the idea of um, cultivating love. Yes, we kind of have this postprandial slump, like, you know, after lunch, kind of, and it's warm in here. We all kind of feel a little bit foggy or groggy. But I think Trudy has a question back there. Can we hand the uh, microphone? Do you use the phrases for yourself as well? Yes. So we'll, um, maybe I'll just go ahead and start talking about this. So I use this, um, we started with a benefactor. Mm. Yes. So there's directed metta, and maybe we'll go ahead and pass, yeah, we'll go ahead and pass out this handout now. Thank you, Robert. Actually, in a, maybe in a minute, too, I'll ask Robert to say a few words, because he actually is a professional <laughs> uh, metta meditation teacher. <laughs> so maybe I'll start um, with this. Earlier I said that there are two types of metta meditation. One is directed and one is not directed. I'll wait till everybody gets their hand out. Um, I think, yeah, I think there are some more upstairs. And there is, I think there's a little stack upstairs. The Xerox machine had a little hiccup and they got stuck up there. So I'll say maybe what um, we don't need the handout for. So there's two types, kind of like directed and undirected. So in the kind of here at IMC or Spirit Rock or something like this, most often is directed, and that is towards an individual. So classically, down at the bottom, you'll see this. I have directing the Brahma Viharas towards specific people. In a moment, I'll talk about what are Brahma Viharas. But the idea is, is that in order to cultivate love and this intention to love, it's easiest to start where we feel love, towards somebody who has supported us. And then in the classic um, Buddhist teachings, after that it goes, oh, I'm sorry, the classic Buddhist teaching starts with oneself. I think, Lori, up here they need some. And I'm not sure, does anybody else... <laughs> okay, we'll f- we'll figure it all out. Yeah, there's two sides. Uh, recollection is next, but uh, 
Right now we're just talking about loving kindness. I think Alfonso up here and Robert. Oh, and here. Hopefully there's enough. Thank you very much, Lori. So at the bottom here, under loving kindness, I misspoke. So in the text, it starts with doing loving kindness towards yourself, with the idea that doing loving kindness for yourself is the easiest and then going to the benefactor. However, in the West, it was discovered that doing loving kindness towards oneself is not necessarily the easiest. So it's often taught to do a benefactor first. And then if um, there's different ways that this is taught. If you're on a long retreat, they'll teach you to spend some time with the benefactor, like maybe days, where you're just doing loving kindness towards somebody, just to kind of really get your body and your mind used to having this loving feeling in a place where it's easiest to arouse a loving feeling and then to direct it towards um, yourself. So then you would change the phrase, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease. And then from a benefactor to a dear friend, Sometimes friends, our relationships are a little bit more complicated. We love them, but there's that thing that they do. You know, so it's, so we, it's, we just practice loving them completely, you know, no matter what they do, right, in our mind. And then the fourth is a neutral person. Often this is um, described as the person that we know that's at the grocery, the grocery clerk that we maybe say hi to them whenever we check out the groceries, but we don't really know who they are. That could be one. And then the last one is a difficult person. This could be that person at work that interrupts us every time we're speaking at a meeting or, I don't know, we, just whomever we have a relationship with, that's not the easiest. So the um, idea is, so why are we doing this? Why is it directed? Going from the easiest to kind of the most difficult is that the, the intention, the goal here is to have boundless loving kindness for everybody, for everyone that one experiences, including the difficult people, including people we don't even know. And to just for that to be the way in which we move throughout the world. And I know a few people that have done long meditation retreats where they did nothing but loving kindness practice for months on end, and they said it completely changed their lives. They said the after coming out from that, just the way they, the relationship to others, the way they viewed others, the way they viewed themselves, was very, very different. But Often meditation teachers will um, highlight or recommend that we don't necessarily always jump into metta practice, loving-kindness practice, because often what arises, I'll speak from experience, I have this intention, I want to be loving towards others, 
and everything except love arises. <laughs> right? It's kind of like, oh, all these things, like what I hate about this and what I really dislike about that or something. So metta practice also has kind of like this type of purifying capability that things start to arise, right? When we set our intention one way, we start to see everything else. Kind of like with mindfulness, when you set your attention to be on the breath, you start to see how much your um, mind goes away. In the same way, kind of when you set your attention to be loving, you start to see all the ways in which you're not loving or experience loving. So sometimes it's not the most skillful to be uh, spending your time experiencing all the ways in which you're not loving. So for different people, it can be... um, a different way in which, uh, or a different role that uh, loving kindness meditation can have in your practice. So, without kind of going, I'll, I'll stop here before going into more details about this and else what's on the handout. But I just described in one way that loving kindness practice can kind of be like mindfulness practice. Can you imagine a way in which it's like a concentration practice that we did earlier? Trudy, the microphone's right next to you if you want to say something. Well, it seems to me that when we're concentrating on one person that we're, in some sense, using the concentration meditation technique. That's right, that we're not, um, our mind isn't bouncing around all over, we're kind of like focusing on a one person, that's right. Anybody else have uh, some ideas of like how is metta, like a concentration practice? Alfonso? Well, it has that same um, tranquility that concentration would have. Maybe a little bit more joyous. Yeah. So, makes it easy. Yeah, there's kind of like it's like a calming kind of thing, right? To kind of just be loving this um, tranquility. Yeah, that's a good word. Thank you. Does anybody want to add to, like, how is it not like a concentration practice? Or maybe how it is, or how is it like mindfulness, or not like mindfulness? So, in the back, like straight back behind you. Well, when I think of uh, concentration, I think of like focusing on one thing. And... uh, with like loving kindness, I kind of feel like it bounces around a little bit where you're like, may you be safe, then may you be happy, and then may you be healthy and live with ease. And it's just kind of, it's just not like, a, like with concentration and I'm focusing, it's my breath, it's my breath, it's my breath, it's my breath. Um, but this kind of changes around a little bit, especially when you 
develop it some more and you go to the second person and the third person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe it would be more like a concentration practice for you if we just had one phrase. May you be happy, 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 yeah. happy, happy, happy. <laughs> on oh seems like this is the first meditation where you're actually feeling an emotion and i kind of that warmth feeling that you described seems like the other meditations you were kind of more removed and especially with the concentration practice doesn't seem like you wanted to feel any emotion in that one yeah here we're like particularly evoking a particular emotion sensation experience or something whereas in the other ones we weren't really evoking anything either with uh, mindfulness or concentration with mindfulness if something arose we could have paid attention to it but the concentration as I directed us it was just the breath you're right so we're like intentionally evoking something here Any other comments of like how it's similar or different? Maybe, maybe let's say that you wanted to do um, either insight or concentration practice. How do you think it would be helpful to do some metta practice? How could it support those other practices? Or how could mindfulness and concentration support loving kindness practice like how can how can loving kindness practice fit in with these other ones Maybe when you develop more of the, the loving kindness, and um, especially towards yourself, you're not going to be as judgmental, and maybe you can have a little bit more of the awareness and the mindfulness without the judgmental part mm-hmm. of it. Thank you. Right. Right, it can kind of soften some of the harsh voices that we have inside of our heads to this love. Thank you. That's a great point. I'll say that um, classically in the text, they also talk about how loving kindness is an antidote to ill will, you know, wishing somebody harm which isn't helpful for anybody, right? For us, it's painful to kind of have those feelings as well as it's not helpful to others. So if we find ourselves consumed with um, wishing somebody harm, this is an antidote. doesn't mean that it's easy, right, to automatically kind of evoke feelings of um, loving kindness towards them. That's why it's a practice that makes it, to make it easier on those occasions, but it can be a way that can help us with um, some of the other, some difficulties that we may have in our lives. Or maybe sometimes in meditation, there can be some strong emotions that arise, some really strong aversion or hatred that isn't necessarily directed towards an individual. It's just a strong emotion. 
then if loving kindness is available to us, it may not be, but if it is, that can be a way in which we can work with them having that difficulty. Because usually you can't have both at the same time, right? Hatred and love. So you can have a maybe a counseling out effect. So at the bottom of this page, I talked about how we um, direct the Brahma Viharas towards specific people and in this order. So what are the Brahma Viharas? So just, this is uh, a number of ways that we could interpret it. Here's um, one that I'm, uh, I will offer. Just like that we are sending it to different individuals, benefactor, friend, neutral person, difficult person, we can send it to individuals that are having different experiences. So loving kindness, when it meets suffering, what arises is compassion. And that's what one of the Brahma Viharas, um, Karuna. When loving kindness meets uh, somebody who's experiencing joy or well-being or good fortune, what arises is sympathetic joy. What we mean by sympathetic joy is like a, you're happy because they're happy. It just, right? When somebody dear to you has good news, right? You want to, you like to have good news too, right? Because you care for them. So that feeling like, oh, that's so great. I'm so happy for you. And then equanimity, when we meet um, difficulties, or we meet others that are having difficulties that aren't clear how they can be resolved or that well, maybe I'll leave it there for now then it's um, equanimity arises and equanimity allows us to see that to hold the difficulty of the situation without getting um, kind of caught up in it or without um, feeling overwhelmed by it and instead to recognize that even though we wish that things were otherwise for this other person, things are as they are, right? We want to be with reality and still can we have an open, caring heart even though that the, this person may have difficulty, maybe experiencing difficulties or maybe those of you who are parents I'm sure have this experience of you have this idea of you know, it would be better if you didn't do that, you know, for your child, but you watch them do something otherwise, and you can't stop them from doing that, and you just know because you're have older and wiser and have that different experience, you really don't want them to do that. You want to prevent them from harm. But um, when loving kindness meets that, it helps you to do with equanimity if you can't prevent them from harming themselves or experiencing the suffering. So when uh, Brahma Vihara practice, similar to loving kindness practice, is that there's phrases. But as you can see in this table, that the phrases are different. And maybe before I go into the details of the phrases, you can see my little footnote number four. Practitioners are encouraged to modify the phrases if changes will make the practice more accessible. So these are like suggested words. There's no magic in these words. It's about the intention for um, wishing them well. So, um, I'm trying to, th- I, right now, off the top of my head, I can't think of alternative phrases. Um, 
But I will also say that I'm speaking in English. I'm giving these things in English. If you speak another language that feels closer to your heart, then maybe it makes sense to do this in that language instead of um, in English. Whichever one feels you know, true to you or is, um, I don't know, as I said, closer to your heart. So loving kindness, Mata has four phrases. The other ones have, um, I'm just offered one. There's a whole collection of them. If I, I wish I had brought them, but I didn't. I have a list of all these different ones. So compassion, may you be free from suffering and the roots of suffering. So it's kind of when, you know, when love meets somebody that's suffering, is that wish for them to be free from suffering. For Oh, altruistic joy or sympathetic joy. May your happiness and good fortune continue. And equanimity. You are the heir to your kama. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your actions, not so much on my wishes for you. Sometimes that's helpful for us. Otherwise, we get really tangled up trying to make other people do other things. It's really heartbreaking to watch people do some things that we think are causing them harm. So you would do Brahma-vihara practice. Brahma-vihara is um, a word that means um, abiding with the gods or calm abiding or something like that. So um, it's often left untranslated. Um, We do it in a similar way that you would bring a person to mind, connect to a warm feeling, and would say these phrases. But when you bring them to mind... For compassion practice, you may bring to mind somebody you know that is suffering, that had bad news at work, a bad diagnosis, or something like that. That seems somebody you would choose. And same with altruistic joy and equanimity. So these are the different categories of people that you would choose. And then, Robert, if I may, I'd like to ask you if you have anything to add here, because um, I recognize that you have real expertise in this area. Yes. I think you've given a really brilliant uh, presentation here. One thing that I wanted to comment on was you asked how how loving kindness could be like uh, a mindful mindfulness or concentration practice. And one of the classic ways that I've understood it is that by using the phrases, you, you, you use the phrases as you would use the breath. So when the mind wanders, you simply return the mind to the phrases. And in this way, the mind begins to settle down and stabilize. And this experience of tranquility begins to... Um, because the mind is quieting down. So, um, yeah, I wanted to make that comment. Yes, great, thank you. So maybe I'll just say that this is Robert Cusick. He teaches an eight-week course at Stanford called Compassion Cultivation Training. It's very close to this, what we're going through here. It's uh, derived from this. It's a little bit more secular, I think. Brings in some of the science about this, and it's an eight-week course offered at Stanford, as well as. Do you want to mention the next time you're teaching? When you have a course going on right now, right? But I'm finishing two courses right now at Stanford. But the fall courses 
I'll teach one in Palo Alto through CARA. And I have a flyer out in the back, I think. It's out there, and I'm going to teach in Saratoga. So if you know anyone down in that area, there will be a class going, thank you. That's very nice of you. Now, I've taken this compassion cultivation training. Uh, Robert wasn't my instructor, though, but it's quite powerful. And, and it's, as I said, it's in a more secular setting, and it's um, quite something. So I can highly recommend this down at Stanford, the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. Education. C-Care. <laughs> C-Care down there. So a little plug for them. I can recommend that. So does anybody, um, I think for now, I'm not going to go over to the top of this uh, handout. You can read it, and if you have some questions. But kind of like in the interest of time, um, does anybody have any questions about loving kindness or metta, Brahma Viharas, just the idea that we can intentionally cultivate love and the sense of well-being for our benefit and for the benefit of the world, too? Um, can you talk about, um, like oftentimes I'll be thinking that I'm being compassionate, but really I'm not being quite compassionate. I'm being, it's, it's like close to it or like I'm in equanimity, but really I'm feeling kind of apathetic. Can you speak to that aspect? Yes. So thank you. That's, um, a very good point. So compassion and empathy are really close, um, but if you feeling if somebody is suffering and you have this sense of love and you want them to be free from their love, their suffering, but you're feeling overwhelmed by their suffering and trying to figure it out and what to do, that's a little bit different. Kind of compassion is a very I'm using this with my arms. It's kind of a really broad, open, loving experience that can hold the suffering without being overwhelmed by it and without being distant, aloof from it. Maybe like why when a baby's crying and you know that the baby's crying but the cause of the baby crying will end soon and you're just there like, oh, yes, oh, poor thing. You don't understand why this hurts, you know, why I have to put, I don't know, take your temperature this way and it's uncomfortable or something. So... Compassion is you're, you're, uh, it's not getting us tangled up with, I have to fix it, it's up to me, the world will be better as soon as this suffering ends. It's more of a real acknowledgement, oh, this is suffering. And an acknowledgement, and I wish that it were otherwise. And from that place of not getting overwhelmed, then some real wisdom and care, and we can act from that place. So it's not passive. It's not um, um, not doing anything. It's not aloof. But it's coming from a place of love and care as opposed to a place of this is wrong and must go away, and I'm going to make it go away. Or I can't bear to watch your suffering, so oh my gosh, I better going to do this, and I'm going to call this person, I'm going to go over there, I'm going to do this. Right? There's a different, there's different qualities, and it's easy to 
fall into kind of this more empathy and I need to fix it because I can't stand your suffering opposed to I can hold your suffering I can be with you I can hear your terrible stories you know often sometimes we hear things that have happened either in the news or what friends tell us and to be able to stand our ground and to hear their story and to be completely present and loving while they are telling us this and that in itself right, is a real act of compassion without having to be overwhelmed or feel like I don't know I'm going this with my hands kind of like this uh, you know gotta get in there and fix it and make it go away somehow but we're not passive right we do things from compassion we take care we take somebody to the hospital we um, listen to their stories whatever needs to be done but we do it standing in this place of love rather than this place of this is a problem that must be fixed is that that's helpful for that the difference between equanimity and aloofness is kind of the same in the sense that we're not closing ourselves off from the experience. Equanimity acknowledges the tragedy, the heartbreak of some of the things that are happening and allows our heart to get broken. But in a way in which we can hold it the way in which we can stay our ground and feel the pain, feel the heartbreak, but not feel compelled that it, we have to make it different or that we have to push it away and pretend like it's not there, kind of this aloofness or harden ourselves so that we don't feel it. And equanimity is being able to be with the reality of the moment, heartbreak, tragedy, whatever it is, and be able to make space for that to exist in our heart, as well as a certain uprightness that, yes, this is suffering. Yes, I wish this were otherwise. But without this, a type of hatred that goes with, oh, it must be different, and I'm going to call everybody I know, or I'm going to do all these kind of things. You know, it's a little bit different. So equanimity is feeling and not turning away, whereas kind of aloofness is often just not feeling as a way to not getting overwhelmed or something. Was that helpful? That was kind of a long answer to you. <laughs> Thank you for asking that, because um, in the Buddhist tradition we have this expression, near enemies, the near enemies of the Brahma-viharas, and they're enemies because they may get um, conflated or confused. So affection, like for a loved one, is sometimes the near enemy of loving-kindness, whereas loving-kindness is an open, just love, whereas affection is, you are mine, and you must do this for me, and you must love me back. I'm exaggerating to make a point, but, you know, there's a little bit of a difference between there. One has some grabbing, one, and the same with um, sympathetic joy. Actually, the word for the um, near enemy slips my mind now. But the, you know, there could be a little bit of envy or a little bit of jealousy that slips in there when somebody has a great thing happening, or as opposed to um, sympathetic joy, altruistic joy is more just um, allowing them feel happy for their happy. Um, I think that for the sympathetic joy, it's self-interest. Is that the near enemy? Or... That wasn't the word I was looking for, but it could um, 
Also, often sympathetic joy is when we, when this kind of loving feeling meets uh, someone who has had good fortune, really good things happen, and maybe something that we wished for ourselves. So I'm not. So it's an enemy. Self-interest is an enemy, but is it a near enemy? Do we conflate self-interest with others? I don't know. But near enemies are something that are easy to get confused. We may think that we're acting with equanimity. We're in fact acting with aloofness. You know, they're kind of, they maybe on the outside look the same, and we could convince ourselves they're the same, but they're different. And often, how they have different. I find myself when I'm describing this, I'm using this with my hands. Right? This is more like the Brahma Viharas is able to hold the experience and make space for what's happening, whereas opposed to the near enemies are kind of like a leaning forward and a grabbing. I want things to be different. I'm going to make them different, and this has to go away. And kind of that of voice that I'm using. That's kind of a just a way to describe it, I think, without using specific words necessarily. Yes. I don't know if it's in the common vernacular these days, but back, you know, a few decades ago, the popular catchphrase was being codependent or not. And that seems to have something to do with this kind of grabby, wanting to kind of make it better for your own good. Yes. Yes. Grabby. That's a good word. (laughs) Codependent, right? Kind of like getting tangled up in and with the other. Yes, yes. Okay. Or is there another question? Did I say, Trudy, do you have a question? Can we Can we use the microphone just so all of us can hear? I kept reading the uh, statement um, next to equanimity, the part that says, your happiness and unhappiness depend on your actions, not so much on my wishes for you. And when I first read it, I thought, it feels like I'm lecturing. Oh, yes. And also, it says, not so much on my wishes for you. And if if I'm in equanimity, I don't have wishes for the person, right? No. Oh, oh, so this is a good point. Equanimity has lots of different meanings and places you may have remembered that's the word that was in the fourth jhana and it's in there it's placed all over and down kind of the buddhist teachings so this type of equanimity is a little bit different and it's um it is like wishing recognizing that um that we all create the conditions for our lives I'm creating the condition for my life. You're creating the condition for your life. And I can't live your life. And so even though I really, really wish for you to be happy, it's what you do that makes you happy. It's not what I do that can help. I mean, I can support you. I can love you. I can um, create the conditions in which it's easier for you to be happy. But whether or not we're happy depends on ourselves, right? Others can't make us happy. There would be zero divorce rate if that were true, right? We would all make each other happy and, and then, you know, would be live happily ever after, I suppose. So is is my wish for the other person then perhaps that they learn to live equanimously? I th- I think that in the case here, um 
think we're wishing for their happiness, for their well-being. And maybe we're wishing for us to be equanimous when we're meeting there, when we're watching them do something that we okay. think will not lead to their happiness. Okay. And I agree with this idea that it, it's a little bit luxury. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your actions, not so much my wishes for you. So you're welcome to change these in any way. But this is just one way to say that just because I'm sitting here wishing, it shouldn't be like, be happy, damn it. You should be happy by now, damn it. You know, right? It can kind of get, you can kind of get there if you find yourself, I really want this person to be happy. Instead, recognizing that... I could wish and wish and wish and wish all I want. That's not what's going to make somebody happy. And they have to kind of do it. And for us to have the respect, the care, the love, to allow them to find their own way with happiness. It's sometimes really hard, right? If you're a parent or if you're a spouse, this is perhaps the most difficult thing on the planet or on the human experience is to allow, to support, help create the conditions for somebody to be happy, love them, and yet recognize that everybody has their own path and will find happiness there in their own way with their own lives. Is there, are there any more um, comments? Okay, so let's take a break. We can meet um, for, can we like 12 minutes? Can we do something like that? So at 3.06 um, and 27 seconds, we'll uh, come back here, <laughs> just to be silly. 